Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, I have had the opportunity uh, many, many times to be around people uh, just shortly before they die. And uh, whether it's in their last few hours or even in their last few weeks, they know it's coming. And uh, I have heard numerous people talk about how they can't wait to get there and see a spouse or a child or a parent or Jesus. And... uh, you know, I just wanted us to start thinking, what, 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 would is it, what would it be that you would want to see when you went to heaven? What would be the first thing you would want to see? You know, my dad, he had a favorite hymn, and uh, the name of the hymn was, uh, uh, I Shall Know Him. Anyone know that hymn? I didn't think so. <laughs> Uh, It was written by Fanny Crosby. Now, uh, if you don't know who Fanny Crosby is, let me just tell you. She was Bethel, Hillsong, Maranatha Music, Bill Gaither, Chris Tomlin, and Matt Redman, and probably a bunch of others all thrown into one. I mean, she she is credited with writing 6,000 hymns. Uh, She lived in the 1800s, and so I guess television wasn't around, so she didn't waste a lot of time with it. And she wrote 6,000 hymns. Now, the thing that's incredible about Fanny Crosby, uh, she wrote Blessed Assurance, To God to Be the Glory. Those are some of her better-known hits. But uh, uh, the thing about Fanny Crosby is she had an eye infection when she was just an infant, And uh, whatever they gave her to treat that eye infection actually blinded her. And she lived all the way into her 80s, never saw anything from that day on when they treated her for that eye infection as an infant. And uh, she used to talk about going to heaven. She wrote a whole bunch of hymns about going to heaven. And someone said to her, finally, jokingly, they said, well, Fanny, how are you going to know which one's Jesus? You've never seen him, you know? And this is the song she wrote. It's my dad's favorite hymn. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I will stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Isn't that a great hymn? I asked you to turn to Revelation 4 because you know what we're going to see today? We're going to see the first thing John saw when he went to heaven. I'd like to just read it to you. Remember back in chapter 1 of Revelation? Verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So I want to bless you by reading to you Revelation chapter 4. 
Now, if you're pulling it up on a phone and you want to follow the version that I follow, I've got the New American Standard version, but you're welcome to use any of them. And because of the nature of this passage in particular that we're going to read, I think it'd be really appropriate if we all stood. Let's all stand just in honor of the Word of God today, because I want to read this to you, because I think this is going to be an incredible blessing. This is John talking. He said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here! And I will show you what must take place after these things. Well, immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on that throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardis in the appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there, there, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature was like the face of that of a man. And the fourth, the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God to receive receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things and because of thy will, They existed and were created. And we're just going to stop right there. Have a seat. You know, there's no way in the world I could do justice to this passage. And so what we're going to do today is is really just kind of step through it and just try to identify and remember the stuff that we saw here. Now, just in case you, you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks or, or maybe you've slept since last Sunday, here's just a reminder. We're, we're walking through the book of Revelation. 
And essentially what we're going to do is we're going to see how it reveals Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus. Now, yes, a whole bunch of it, and in fact, the primary focus is what he will do. But the thing that is so cool about this, and this is one of the things I really want to put a spotlight on, is it doesn't just tell us what he will do, it tells us who he is. Because, you know, in the book of uh, Revelation, we see a picture of Jesus that, that is not the contradictory to what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it is different. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this gentle shepherd. We see this, this, this wise rabbi. We see this, this forgiving God who, who raises the dead and heals the sick and feeds the hungry. In the book of Revelation, it's really quite different because what we see is we see the Son of God who has been designated to judge and bring about justice. And he's not the meandering rabbi. He is this, this conquering king who comes with a sword. It's not in his hand. It's coming out of his mouth. He speaks and enacts justice. And he's coming with a host. And he is going to enact justice and establish his kingdom. That's the Jesus that's in Revelation. Like I said, not contradictory to the one that's in the gospel, but it is worth noting the difference. And just so you remember, here, here's what the book of Revelation is basically. It's the vision of Jesus and what he will do, seen and recorded by the Apostle John in about 95 A.D., by this time, John's well into his 90s. All the other disciples, the apostles, are dead. He's imprisoned and on the island of Patmos, which is a little bit, say, like an Alcatraz out in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And he sees this incredible vision, and God wants him to record it and write it up for the seven churches, the seven primary churches of Asia Minor, churches like Ephesus and Pergamum and Smyrna and Thyatira, and Laodicea. He also told John, he said, okay, here's how you're to arrange it. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to write these things down. Write the things that you have seen. By this time, he had seen that picture of Jesus walking through the, the, amongst the seven candlesticks, the seven churches, evaluating them. So write that up. Write the things that are. That's these messages that we kind of surveyed last week that are in chapters 2 and 3 where, where Jesus had a special word for the people of Ephesus, a special word for the people of Philadelphia, a special word for the people of Laodicea and the other four churches. Well, today we're going to begin to look at the third thing John was supposed to include in this record, those things that are to take place after this. And so when you get to Revelation chapter 4, that's exactly where we are in it. Go back and look at verse 1, what I, what I read there. It says, after these things I looked, and behold, there was this door open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here. 
And I'm going to show you what must take place after these things. And look at what he says in verse 2. He says, immediately I was in the Spirit. See the word spirit? My word spirit in my translation is capitalized. Uh, it may have been needed to be capitalized, may not have. It might, I, I kind of take it the word spirit there is not is just the generic word spirit. I don't know necessarily that it's saying I was in the Holy Spirit. He's in the Holy Spirit the whole way. I think he's saying, I didn't go there literally. I, I went there. This is a vision that I saw, but I was transported there to this throne room of God. And here's what I saw. Now, like I said, I'm just going to break it down and we're going to walk through it. You've got the bulletin. You can look on the back of the bulletin there and just kind of see the little divisions because it just gives us a, a, a way to unpack it. You know, the first thing he saw was this throne. And I find that really kind of fascinating. He, first thing he mentions is the throne, not the person on the throne. And it's almost like maybe John realized the authority that emanates from this place. You know, when I was growing up, my uh, grandmother, my grandmother Hornock, lived about 150 miles from Washington, D.C., in uh, the south part of Virginia. And uh, so we would go visit her often. And because of that, even though I grew up in Utah, I got to go to Washington, D.C. a lot. I have a lot of memories of being a kid walking around the mall, seeing the White House, seeing the Capitol, the Washington Monument, and all that stuff. And, and so I went there a lot as a kid. And then it was probably 20 years before I went back. And I remember uh, we, by this time we were married, we had several kids, and I had these, these, these memories of what the Capitol looked like, what the White House looked like, what the Washington Monument looked like, what Lincoln Memorial looked like, the mall, the whole thing. And in my mind, my child's mind, it had gotten very small because I'd been there. I'd been there a bunch. You know, I could walk around. I knew how it was all laid out, you know, where the, the tidal basin was and the, the, the Jefferson memorials across over there and all that stuff. And I remember driving in there, and we probably by this time have four or five kids, and it was huge. I mean, I'd seen all these pictures of the Capitol, and in my mind, the Capitol, you know, it was huge. I'm expecting something about like the federal building down there on the circle in downtown Texarkana. And I'm like, wow, this place is big. And we, we, were, we walked from the Capitol to the Washington Monument to be able to look at the backyard of the White House and then all the way to the Lincoln Memorial. And if you know anything, well, that was quite a hoof, especially with five small kids. It's huge. And I was reminded, as a 35-year-old, 4-year-old, whatever I was, this place is big. This is like, this really is the center of the world in terms of power. That's what John saw. He goes, he's, he's, he goes through that door and he sees this throne and he's like, this is the throne of the universe. Look at verse 2. 
immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Then, look at what he says about the person on the throne. There was one sitting on the throne, and he was sitting, he, he was like jasper stone. I don't really know that much about jasper stone, but the books I read said that it's a lot like diamond. Diamonds are pretty. Diamonds are expensive. You get a good diamond and you've got the right light, the thing just glistens. And Sardis, Sardis is, is like blood red. So you can imagine this diamond-like thing emanate from it, but there's also this blood red in its appearance. And then there is a rainbow. You know, we hear so much about rainbows today, but remember what rainbows really were. Rainbows were initially, in God's economy, Genesis 9, a, a sign of the covenant that God makes with mankind. And, and this, this rainbow is kind of emanating uh, an emerald, kind of a green tone in appearance. And, and, and so here is, is, is God himself, sitting on his throne, sitting on the throne of the universe, the throne of all creation, and he is brilliant, and, and there's this diamond-like uh, image emanating from it, but it, there's this blood red mixed in it, and then the whole thing kind of has a glow of, of green, you know, and, you know, who knows why those colors, you know, we can make lots of guesses, but this was impressive. And then... Look at the people around the throne. Verse 4, and around the throne were 24 thrones, kind of junior thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. So you got this, this huge throne in the middle and God, the Father, sitting on it, glowing, this rainbow hovering, and, and then kind of encircling the throne are 24 elders. And boy, that's a, a fun discussion to have. Who in the world are these 24 elders? How do I sign up for that ministry position? I didn't see that on the little thing you guys had us fill out a couple of months ago about what we want to do in the church. I want to be one of the 24 elders. They got a cool position. Who are they? Well, you know, kind of the easy guess, but it's the wrong guess, is, oh, this is the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. This is Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, the church, God's people in the New Testament. They're representative of it. Good guess, but actually probably the wrong guess, to be honest. Uh, let me tell you some more details about it. Notice, these people have white garments. That suggests they, they've already entered into purity. The, these people are finished products. And then here's the next kicker thing. Notice they're wearing golden crowns on their heads. You know, in Greek, uh, there are two words that are translated crown. There's diadem, and that refers to a crown that is a crown of status. You know, a year ago or whenever they uh, coronated King Charles, he got a diadem. 
Why did he get to be king? Just because of who he was. He just was, he won the genetic lottery. That's why he's king. There's another kind of crown, a Stephanus. So a diadem, that's for status. Stephanus is for achievement. It's a reward. Remember in the ancient uh, Olympics, they the, the guy that won the race or the guy that won the, the competition, he was given a, a laurel that they'd put on his head, but that was kind of a crown. It was a Stephanus. So, so here are these, these 24. They're uh, rewarded already, not because of who they are, because of what they've done. They've already received their rewards, and they're, they're wearing white garments, and that suggests that they've already entered into to, to purity. And so, really, I think actually a better guess is that these 24 actually just represent the church. I don't think they're angels. Some people think they're angels. That's a good guess. I'm not going to go to the wall over this one, but, but the 24 elders, I think... You know, they are called elders. Jews didn't really talk much about elders. They had priests. The priests were the head of the community. Uh, elders, they're the heads of the community of Christ. And so these are elders that have been rewarded, that have entered into purity, and there's 24 of them. Well, why 24? You know, because it took that many to, to gather around. Well, we tried to get by with 15, God, but, you know, we had to, you know, too big a gap, so 24 did it just right. No, I think there's a better reason for 24. In God's economy, there was one high priest that served the temple, and how many assistants did he have? 24. Remember in some of those visions that Ezekiel saw? He saw 25 people out there in idolatry, bowing down to the sun because they were worshiping the sun and they had their backs to the temple. Well, who's the high priest? We're going to see him next week when we get read the vision that's in chapter 5. Jesus Christ is the high priest. And who are the church? That we are a priest a nation of priests. We're, we're priests. We, we get to go straight to God the Father. So I think, I think there's good evidence to say these 24 represent the church up there because we've already been rewarded. We're purified. We've entered in. So I think by this time, to be honest, the church, because it, it basically disappears from the narrative I mean, it's all about the church in chapter 2 and 3. But from now on, church isn't ever mentioned because I think they're up in heaven. We're up in heaven. Cool thing about this is, you know, we can talk about it, but it's not really crucial as to just who these guys are. All we know is there's 24 people sitting around the throne, the throne, and at certain strategic times, they're going to get, in, get down and worship, as we all ought. Well, look at the power that emanates from the throne. See, it's in verse 5. And, the throne, and from the throne proceeded 
flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Kind of reminds you of maybe what the Israelites and Moses in particular saw on Mount Sinai before he went up there to get the Ten Commandments. I mean, this, this mountain is quaking and thundering and lightning. It's just power. So, I mean, what an incredible sight. There is this throne. God the Father is sitting on the throne. There's 24 beings around the throne. There's this, this rainbow and beautiful colors and power emanating from it. And then there's thunder and lightning and all of this stuff coming off of it. And, and there, look at the second half of verse 5. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. So these seven lamps are not the seven lamps that he saw in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1 he saw seven lamps, seven, you know, tall candlesticks, and they represented the churches that he was writing to, Ephesians, Pergamum, Thyatira, etc. Here's seven more lamps that are kind of inside the circle of the 24, but these are not those seven lamps. These lamps, it says, are the seven spirits of God. Now, who might that be? I think the best guess there is that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, why'd you get that? Well, seven. It's the seven. It's the, you, you probably know if you've been around church long enough that, that seven is one of those special numbers. It's like the number of perfection, completion. You know, there's seven days in the week. God created seven days there at the very beginning. There was, there was seven days in the week. There's, there's, there's sevens all throughout the Bible. Uh, you name it. It all points to completion. I mean, the Hornocks had seven kids. It must be a good number. I don't know. But, but here it is. That's, that, it's like the complete spirit of God. Now get this. This is really cool because you're not going to see it until next week, but I'll just give you a little foreshadowing. So you got the Father on the throne. you got the Holy Spirit kind of hovering around the throne. And then next week we're going to see the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, enter in as the Lamb of God. So in, in this vision, because we really only read half of the vision, we're going to see the Trinity. Remember, we, we worship one God, but that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First person, second person, third person, who are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. And so here you've got the first person on the throne, you've got the third person around the throne, and next week we're going to see the second person come into the presence of the throne to enact the justice. Well, look at what else is in there. Look at these protectors of the throne. Because it really is, this is, this is, this is what these people were doing or these beings were doing. So in verse 6, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So there, there was a gap. 
You got the 24, but, but they weren't just right there like they could reach out and touch. There was a distance, and, and the distance between was like a sea of crystal. And in the center, around the throne, right up there next to the throne, maybe on the front, the back, the, each side, in the center, around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, this is a good place to mention this, okay? This is a dream, this is a vision that John sees. Uh, you know, every one of us, whether we remember them or not, we have dreams, we have visions while we sleep. And if you remember them, sometimes those dreams, those visions are really weird, okay? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream, and I was, I was seeing our home uh, from the, the standpoint of like a drone flying above it. So you could kind of see our home and the neighborhood homes. And uh, I, I'm thinking, why in the world did I dream this thing? But I think the reason is, is because, you know, I've been talking to Lynn. Uh, he sells fertilizer, and he was talking about some fertilizer that we needed to put on the church and... Whenever we put something on the church, I like to also do it to my house. And, and so I'm sitting there thinking about this fertilizer. And then I remembered back, you know, it's Thanksgiving. And I remembered how the Indians used to put a couple fish in and, with their corn. And that's how you made Indian corn. At least that's what the way he taught us in uh, elementary school back in Utah. And, uh, you know, and I'm looking down at my house. And there's these huge fish lying all over our yard which is going to rot and make my grass beautiful next spring because that's what Lynn said to do. Dreams are weird. Dreams are, you know, different. We don't really see it. And, and so you look at these creatures, and we're going to see the faces they have, but that, that line at the end, verse 6, says they're full of eyes in the front and the back. I mean, I think Vicky's got beautiful eyes, but I'm so glad she only has two of them. Okay, you know, five eyes, that would definitely be, uh, you know, I'd love her just the same, but boy, that would have taken a day or two to get used to, okay? These, this thing has all kinds of eyes, so what do those eyes represent? I mean, is it they're, they're not omniscient, because only God's omniscient, but maybe they know a lot more than the average being. I don't know. They've got all these eyes, but look at it. That one's got the face of a lion, one's got the face of a calf, one's got the face of a man, and one's got the face of an eagle. And in a way, you could almost look at all of uh, created living beings, and it's like there's a representative of each of them. One of the reasons they always were making an idol out of a calf, you know, remember Aaron made the golden calf, and they worshipped it. Remember when Jeroboam took over the north? He made two golden calves that they would worship. Calves were, you know, crap. Calves are really cute when they're little, but they grow into bulls who are very strong and powerful. I mean, the most powerful being uh, animal they could think of. Lions, well, they're king of the king of the lion, king of the jungle. Men, well, we we gotta like us because we are it. And then flying eagles, is there a better bird? I mean, it's almost like there's four representatives, and so it's just speaking to the fact that these things are very, very intelligent, and they they are very powerful, and they've got these faces that represent the the apex of creation. 
Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them. Now, who are they? Let's try to identify them. Each one of them has six wings and are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, this is what they say. The six wings. Maybe, maybe these are what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. Because he saw what he called seraphim, angels. Angels have various classes, uh, categories. Uh, there's cherubs, and there's seraphim, and then there's others. Maybe these are seraphim angels that are privileged to be right there protecting the throne. But most importantly, look at what they say, verse 8. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He's holy. He's powerful. He's eternal. He was, he is, he is to come. And then finally, look at this last couple, last little bit there. This last little bit says that they were praising the one who sat on the throne. Verse 9, and when the living creatures, these four, when they gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, guess what the 24 elders would do? They fell down before him who sits on the throne. Did you notice that? Who sits on the throne. It says that phrase about four times in this chapter. Okay, we got it. He sits on the throne. No, get it. He sits on the throne. This thing that was the first thing that John saw when he walked in through that door. He's it. Well, when the 24 elders fall down in response to what the living creatures had just said, they cast their throne, their crowns before the throne. Is that where we get the idea that maybe we're going to cast our crowns? That's one of the reasons we should live a life that is pleasing to God so that there will be rewards for us to give in honor and praise to God? Verse 11, here's what they're, they're saying. They're saying, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things. Thou didst created all things. And because of thy will, they exist and were created. Boy, if, if there's something you ought to underline, it's the second half of that thing they just sang. For thou didst create all things. All things. Everything that has been created was created by God. And, and it's because of your will, God, they exist. I exist because it was God's will for me to exist. You exist because it was God's will for me, for you to exist. We, we live this life with our 78.9 years or whatever the average is these days because that's God's will. 
I mean, God is the ordainer of all things. He's the creator of all things. He is it. Now, as I said, I mean, we, we, we just kind of scratched the surface. We couldn't even begin to do this, this vision justice because what John saw here is just so absolutely magnificent. Here is the God of all creation, the, God of, the, the creator of all things, the one who, who because he wills, that all things continue to exist, we exist. And when he ceases to will that we exist, we don't. I mean, that's who's sitting there on the throne. You know, I always like to, at the end, as you know, say, okay, so what? Well, here, to be honest, the so what is pretty easy to see but boy, is it really hard to do. I mean, just, just think for a minute. I'm not going to ask for volunteers or you speak out, but okay, what would the so what be of this sermon? You got it in your head? Let me tell you what I think it is. God's to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped. Your job, my job, everything about us is to worship God. He's worthy. He created us. He keeps us going. I mean, the most intelligent beings that we have seen yet to date in the God of Word, in God's Word, are worshiping Him day and night. The apex of creation, these four living creatures, you know, represented by a lion and a calf and a man and an eagle. They worship him all the time. And these people, these 24 who representative of, of whoever they are, these people that have, have, have entered into ultimate purity as signified by their white robes and, and, and their, they, they've, they've run the race and they've been rewarded because they're wearing Stephanuses. And, 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 and they worship. That tells me I ought to worship. That tells you you ought to worship. God is worthy of our worship. Easy to see, very, very hard to do, isn't it? And boy, you, you look around at just the masses. Because he didn't just create us who like him, who try to love him, who try to do what he says. He created everyone. He didn't just create the people that are in church today seeking to worship him. He created the other 75% of Texarkana that's sitting at home waiting for football or waiting to get to the store so they can stock up for Thanksgiving. He created his people. He created all people. Everyone, whether they recognize it or not, everyone is supposed to worship God. Everyone. That's powerful. And boy, if anything, you know, it doesn't take much to evaluate, 
but to recognize so very few really do worship. So very few of us really worship as we should. I mean, God is supposed to be worshipped. You can't, you, can't, you can't read this passage without walking away with that. And that, that tells me he, he needs to enter into my mind often, regularly, throughout the day, every day. I mean, there should not be long gaps, no matter what I do, whether I teach, design, clean, do some other kind of labor. There, he should be close to the front of my head because I'm here for him, by him, and ultimately to point honor and glory back to him. If we go long without thinking about our creator, boy, we're thinking about too many other things. We need some mind discipline because God is to be worshiped. He, he is to enter into our life. We are to allow him into our, the forefront of our life so that we're here to say, I'm here for you. I want to do this thing your way. It kind of leads me to the second so what. All that we do is to be done as worship. Everything. And because if we will master that discipline of thinking about him often as we teach, as we build, as we design, as we sell, as we watch TV, if we will think about that, think about him regularly, that then leads us to that question, is this really something that should be... Is this a good investment of my time? Because I'm here not on my time. I'm here on his time. He's the one that's given me this time. And everything I do should be worship. If, if, if I'm doing this to make my living, am I doing it as worship? If I'm doing this to, to build my marriage, I'm doing it as worship. If I'm doing this so that my kids are a blessing as opposed to a burden, I'm doing it as worship. And boy, if, if I can't sit and say, I'm doing that as worship, it really should be evaluated as to whether or not I even should be investing my time in that. Because it's not my time, it's actually God's time. I'm here for Him. God is to be worshipped. What did these... 24 elders say, Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Because you created all things. And because of your will, they continue to exist. And we're created. He's holy, holy, holy. He's the one that was, who is, and who is to come. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that today, with just this little glimpse of heaven, 
of seeing the truth, seeing reality as it really is. I pray, Father, we would make the adjustments necessary to bring our lives and minds and wills and emotions in line with uh, the real truth of who you are. Father, help us to use our time wisely to worship you, to accomplish the things you've called us to do in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Thank you, Father, for showing John this, and thank you for his faithfulness to record it for us. And now, Lord, we ask that uh, you would give us the ability to live in light of it. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.